Previously on Making of a Giant Killer, a mighty army stood against God and his people. Their champion, a giant named Goliath, taunted the people of Israel, challenging the bravest among them to a duel. Only David answered the call, and with God's power, a single stone and a slingshot, he defeated Goliath. But more enemies remained, so God sent David a friend. Jonathan was devoted to David, closer than a brother. And when David was in danger, Jonathan saved his life. This week, a deadly chase on making of a giant killer. All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eagle Church. Really good to have you with us today, whether you're at one of our campuses or you're watching this message online. Welcome to you as well. We are in the third week of a series called Making of a Giant Killer, where we've been looking at the life of David and how God prepared him to be the king and to defeat giants like Goliath. And our hope through this whole series is that you would be prepared to face the giant challenges in your life as well. One of those challenges is when you go through a time that can only be described as a wilderness. Ever been there before? The summer after my wife Sarah and I were married, we, I was working as a youth pastor at the time, and so we decided to take a group of middle school students on a Boundary Waters camping trip. The idea was we were going to get out into God's creation and put them in challenging situations that would have parallels to faith. It looked really good on paper. But when we got there, we found out our group was too big to all go together, and we found out the organization we were working with didn't allow boys and girls to go in the same groups. So they said, girls are pink, boys are blue, we don't do purple, okay? No purple. So that meant that Sarah had to go with one guide and four middle school girls, and I had to go with another guide and four middle school boys. I'm not sure which one of us had it worse. Sarah had to do basically every portage by herself. She would carry across a canoe, go back and get the Duluth pack that was too heavy for these girls to carry, bring that over. I had to sleep in an enclosed tent with four middle school boys. I would describe the odor as a cross between a sweaty locker room, Axe body spray, and Brussels sprouts. They didn't eat Brussels sprouts, they just smelled like them. Add to that a digestive system racked by eating summer sausage and trail mix all day, and it was not a very good night. But once we were out on the lake, it was beautiful. Towering pines and spruces, glistening blue water. That is until a storm began to roll in late afternoon. Our guide said that he had heard that a big storm was coming in, which made me wonder why he didn't share that information when we were safely back at the retreat center. But there was no time to argue about this. We had to find a campsite and get our tent up before the rain came. We had a cold dinner of cheese, crackers, more summer sausage, and trail mix, and we jumped into our tent just as it began to rain. And boy, did it rain. Around one o'clock in the morning, I started hearing these long creaking noises, followed by a loud crashing sound. Our guide yelled over from the other tent. He said, there's trees falling down around us. But then he added, I'm fairly certain none will hit us. I like that optimism. But I was concerned with his use of the word fairly. Just a couple hours later, a huge tree came down less than 20 feet from our tent. I don't know if I've ever been more genuinely scared in my life. This thing would have crushed us. 
There was actually about seven trees that came down right around our tent that night, and we later found out this was one of the worst storms to hit the boundary waters in years. My wife actually took a couple of pictures with her girls around some of these trees. That had fallen down less than 20 feet from their tent. Now, as you can imagine, I didn't sleep real well that night. I was anxious. I was afraid. It felt like the world was coming down around me. Literally and figuratively, I was in the wilderness. And maybe that's where you find yourself these days. You're not sleeping well at night. You've got a lot on your mind. You're anxious. You're afraid. It feels like the world is coming down around you. You are in the wilderness. And what I want you to know is this. You are not alone. Think about King David. Here's a man whose life was on the rise in meteoric proportions. He was anointed the king of Israel. He achieved instant fame when he defeated the giant Goliath. He went from shepherding sheep to commanding an army. Everything this guy touched turned to gold. But then something very surprising happened. All of those wonderful wins turned to losses. First, there was his job. David was commanding the army of Israel until the king, King Saul, became jealous of David's military success and he tried to kill David. In an instant, David loses his job, his income, and his future. Next, he loses his marriage. David had been married to Saul's daughter, Michael. And when Saul turned on David, he took his daughter back and married her off to another man. Next was the prophet Samuel. Samuel was a spiritual mentor to David. He was the one who taught him the ways of God and anointed him as king. But then Samuel died. And so in almost an instant, David loses his job, his income, his marriage, and a spiritual father. He's forced to flee from Saul, who begins to pursue him and try to kill him. And look at where David ends up. It says this in 1 Samuel 23, David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. David was in the wilderness. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you were climbing up the corporate ladder, promotion after promotion, bonus after bonus, and then you got called into an office and you heard them say, your position is being eliminated. You're in the wilderness. Maybe you stood before your friends and your family and you said, in sickness and in health, you were so in love. You were gonna grow old together and spend the rest of your life with one another. And then you heard them say these words, I want a divorce. I don't love you anymore. And you are in the wilderness. Or maybe your life was going along just fine and a doctor said to you, the news isn't very good. And instantly you find yourself in the wilderness. And what's really confusing about all this is that you can be doing everything right and still end up in the wilderness. David didn't do anything wrong. In fact, as Saul is chasing David, trying to kill him, at one point, David is standing on a mountain and he calls down to King Saul. And look at what he yells out to him. He says, understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you in any way, but you are hunting me down to take my life. You can be doing everything right and still end up in the wilderness. And some of you know that. You were hardworking, you were faithful, 
You were honest, and still you ended up in the wilderness. And the question is, why? Why does God allow us to go through a wilderness sort of experience in life? David must have wondered that question as he sat in a cave. He must have thought, how did I end up in this cave? I used to be living in a palace, and now this is the life that I have? Has God lost track of me? Has God forgotten his promises? Does God even hear me when I pray? Or am I going to end up dying in this cave? Why did God allow me to go into a cave? Here's why. God does some of his best work in caves. When you are in a cave in your life, and you've got no other place to turn, you start to rely on God. You start to turn to God, and that's when God can begin to work in your life in a way that he can't, when everything is going great and you're living in the palace. God does some of his best work in caves. My freshman year of college, my cave was the business building at St. John's University. When I was in high school, I had friends, I had great parents, I had a girlfriend. But then my freshman year of college, all those friends were off at different schools. My great parents were at home, my girlfriend had broken up with me, and I had just become a follower of Christ who had made a commitment that I was going to stop underage drinking. And so I remember one night, my roommate threw a kegger in our dorm room, tiny dorm room, threw this huge kegger. And I knew there was going to be drinking and hooking up, and I had a decision to make. Am I going to go, or am I going to flee to the wilderness? I grabbed my Bible, I grabbed a devotional, my utmost for his highest, by Oswald Chambers, and I walked across the road to the business building at St. John's. There was only one room that had a light on, and that was the bathroom. And so for the next two or three hours, that was my cave. And it's not like I remember God saying anything specific to me, but I remember thinking, this is a big moment. Because my whole life, I had followed the crowd. My whole life, I had just wanted to live for the approval of other people. And this was one of the first times I didn't do that. God knew that I had a tendency to follow the crowd. And he knew he needed to get that out of me if I was going to be a spiritual leader. And so he sent me to a cave. And it wasn't fun. I felt vulnerable and insecure the whole time. But now today, almost 20 years later, I see what a gift that it was. Because God does some of his best work in caves. So the question I want to raise today is this. When you're in the wilderness, and you will be in the wilderness at some point, might be a financial wilderness, might be a relational wilderness, might be with your health or your job, but you will be in a wilderness. When that happens, what should you do? Let me give you three things to do. The first one is this. You need to learn. You need to learn. Let's pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 22. It says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So David is in a cave. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in the soul gathered to him. What a group, huh? And wouldn't you like to be invited to that party? What's interesting about this to me is that the nation of Israel must have been different than America today. Because in America today, if you put out an all-points bulletin and you said, hey, if you're in distress, if you're in debt or you're bitter in the soul, come with me, we'd all be behind you, okay? That pretty much describes every single one of us. But the nation of Israel must have been a little bit different. Because look at what it says in the next verse. It says, and there were with him 
400 men. So David is in this cave with 400 distressed debtors who are bitter in their soul. That's who he's got with him. And he goes to the king of Moab and he asks for permission to stay in this land. And I love what David says here to the king of Moab. He says this. He says, please let my father and mother stay with you until I know what God will do for me. If you're in a wilderness right now, I hope you didn't miss that last part. Because notice what David's attitude is here. It's of expectation. What is God going to do for me? How is God going to use this in my life? What does God want to teach me from this experience? Friends, God doesn't have you in a wilderness right now to make you bitter, but better. He doesn't have you there to punish you, but to perfect you. In fact, I've heard it said that the 20s are your defining decade. People will say that how you spend your 20s will set the trajectory for the rest of your life. Some of you are 28 and you're like, say what? Like, yeah, you, you've got two years to figure out your whole life, apparently, according to these experts. But here's my question. How was David spending his 20s? He was in the wilderness. David wasn't in the wilderness for a few weeks, a few months, or even a few years. David was in the wilderness for almost a decade. And not just any decade. When all of David's friends were getting married and having kids and starting their careers... David was in the wilderness. But David was learning something that his peers were missing out on. God was teaching David how to lead men, how to fight. He was teaching him how to rely on God. David's wilderness years were like a PhD in kingly leadership. What if you started to look at your wilderness years the same way? With expectation. You don't always meet God in the palace when your life is going great. You oftentimes meet God in the cave when it's not. God does some of his best work in caves. In fact, look at what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30. It says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. It's a great thing to get encouraged by other people. But when you are in the cave, when you are in the wilderness, you need to begin to encourage yourself in the Lord. You need to begin to speak to yourself and preach to yourself, not about the losses, not about what you're missing out on, not about your problems, but you need to begin to say things like this, God, what are you going to do? How are you going to use this in my life? You need to encourage yourself in the Lord. A couple weeks ago, I was watching a video on ESPN about McKenzie Alexander, McKinsey was the second round draft pick of the Minnesota Vikings this past year. It's a video that we showed in church a few weeks ago, if you were here that weekend. And in this video, it talks about how McKinsey grew up in Florida picking oranges. Woke up at five in the morning, picked oranges all day, but God used that work ethic to propel him to greatness in football. After I watched this video, I went into our senior pastor, Bob Merritt's office, And I was giving him some feedback on his message for that weekend. And his message was about how David grew up in obscurity, but God used that to plant the seeds of greatness. And I said, oh, Bob, I got the perfect video for you. I said, this fits perfect with what you're talking about. After his office, I went back in my own office, and I started to work on this message. And I'm thinking, I need a story about how someone grew up in the wilderness But God used that to teach them something profound in life. And that's when it hit me. 
the McKinsey Alexander video was supposed to be for my message. And I sat there looking out the window so discouraged, thinking, why did I give that to Bob? And then I felt like it just hit me in that moment. God was giving my messages to Bob. (laughs) Apparently Bob needed a little extra help and I had a lot of extra good stuff. And so God was like, all right, here you go. Just bring that over. And I just kept telling myself that. I kept encouraging myself in the Lord. And here's what I realized. A lot of life is about your perspective. When you're in the wilderness, you can choose to look at your problems. You can choose to think about all the things that you've lost in your life. Or you can choose to join David and say, God, what are you going to do? How are you going to use this in my life? What are you wanting to teach me? What do you want me to learn from this experience, God? You got to learn something when you're in the wilderness. Second thing to do when you're in the wilderness is this look around. If you've ever read through the Bible before, there's this book in the Bible called Psalms. And if you notice, at the top of each psalm, it will give you a title. Sometimes we not only know who wrote the psalm, but we actually know when they wrote it. So for example, with Psalm 63, it says this is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness. In other words, David wrote this psalm when he was bouncing from cave to cave trying to escape from King Saul. It's a psalm for all of us who are in the wilderness. Now, before I read this psalm to you, I want to remind you that psalms were prayers or songs written to God. And so if you were in a time of wilderness, what would be your prayer or your song to God? I don't want to speak for all of you, but I've been in wilderness kinds of situations before, and my prayer has always been this, get me out of here, God. And do it right now. I don't want to be here any longer. I remember one time I was like, God, I've been in this wilderness for three months. I've been dealing with this same issue for three months. And then I realized that there are many of you who have been dealing with an issue for three years. And it's a really hard place to be. But I want you to notice how David begins his wilderness prayer to God. He says this, oh God, you are my God. If you are in the wilderness right now, you need to keep saying this over and over again. Oh God, you are my God. Long time ago, I was talking to this couple who was in the wilderness. And their marriage was in the wilderness. And the reason their marriage was in the wilderness was because one of their kids was really struggling. And the stress and the strain of that was making its way into their marriage. And so they had wilderness issues with their kid and in their marriage as well. And At one point, they looked at me and they said, you know, we're not even sure we believe in God anymore. And I thought, you know, the Bible says don't be surprised when you suffer. In other words, don't be surprised when you go through the wilderness because every single one of us is going to go through the wilderness at some point in our life. But that doesn't make God any less of a God. You need to keep saying, oh God, you are my God. I'm not going to leave you. I am not going to forsake you no matter what happens in my life. Because David wasn't just interested in God because God could make his life easier. He wanted God himself. Look at what David writes in the very next verse. He says, earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked up to you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. I believe there's a breakthrough for some of you in this verse. Because notice what David is looking at. Is he looking at the wilderness? No. Is he looking at all of his problems and complaining about them? No. It says David looked to God, beholding his power and glory. Here's what you need to do. Get your eyes off your problems and onto the power of God. Get your eyes off of your problems and onto the power of God. Wake up in the morning and declare, oh God, you are my God. And then open up your Bible and begin to behold his power and his glory. Because look at what David writes in the very next verse. He says, your love is better than life. God's love is better than life. So many people, when they're going through the wilderness, they just want their life to go back to how it was before. They'll pray things like this. I just want to feel normal again, God. I just want my normal life back. Bring it back to how it used to be. And I know that's what people pray because that's what I've prayed when I've gone through the wilderness. But here's the problem with that. God's love is better than life. God's love is better than a no wilderness, no problem life. God's love makes your best day in your normal life look like standing in line at the DMV. So instead of praying, God, I want my life to be normal again. What if you started praying, God, I want to experience your love, which is better than my normal life, even while I am in the wilderness. There's two more verses I wanted you to see from this psalm. The first one is verse six. David writes this. He says, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you, God, throughout the night. I talk to people all the time who they don't sleep well at night. A lot of stress, a lot of problems that they lay awake thinking about. And I wanted you to see this verse because David's awake. But notice what he's doing. It says he's meditating on God. Here's a very practical exercise for you. The next time you can't sleep at night, use that as a trigger to pray. Begin to pray through your life. Begin to pray for other people. Or begin to meditate on a verse from the Bible that you have committed to memory. A few weeks ago, I was laying in bed, couldn't sleep. And I started to go through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And those words begin to bring a sense of peace and calmness over my life. You do that until you fall back asleep. Here's the other verse I wanted you to see. It's verse eight. David writes this, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I love that word cling. David is just holding on. There are some of you who are in the wilderness right now. And this is all that I can tell you to do. You just need to hold on. You just need to cling to God. Sometimes that's all you can do. Third thing to do when you're in the wilderness. You need to learn. You need to look around at God. And then third, don't leave early. 
about a month ago, I was with my son Hudson at the Twins game, and going into the bottom half of the eighth inning, the Twins were losing 5-2. to two. But then Byung-Ho Park let off with a monster home run to left field, and so now it was 5-3. The next guy walked, and up stepped Eddie Rosario as a pinch hitter. As Rosario stepped into the batter's box, I leaned over to my son Hudson, and I said, hey, we're going to leave after this inning. Right away, Hudson's like, no, please, can we stay for the whole game? I'm a leave early guy. I do not like getting stuck in the parking ramp for 20 minutes. And so I said to Hudson, I said, no, 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 pick up your stuff, we're gonna get it ready, we're gonna leave after he hits. But Hudson turned to me and he said, Dad, Dad, if Rosario hits a home run right here to tie the game, how about we get to stay? I look up at the scoreboard, Rosario's batting 200 with zero home runs on the season. I said, fine, if Rosario hits a home run, we'll stay. Next pitch, gone. 418-foot home run to center field. Hudson is dancing. We get to stay. We get to stay for the whole game. Everybody around me is like, lighten up, Dad. Come on, let your kids stay for the game. And then, of course, the twins lost, and we got stuck in the wilderness of the parking ramp for 20 minutes. But here's my point. Isn't that how most of us are when it comes to our hardships in life? We want to leave early. If you're in the wilderness right now, my guess is that you want to get out of there as quick as possible. The quick fix is awfully tempting. David's quick fix was right in front of him. In fact, we'll pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 24. But David is still running from King Saul. King Saul has 3,000 of his best warriors who are pursuing David and his 400 men. David and his men are jumping from cave to cave, and they find themselves in a wilderness called En Gedi, hiding in a cave called Wild Goat's Rock. And I want you to picture this because this cave is huge and deep. And so David's men are hiding way in the back underneath, behind some boulders. And all of a sudden they look up, and in the entrance of the cave, in walks King Saul. Saul actually doesn't even know that David and his men are in this cave. He simply came in there to find a place to relieve himself. Saul very literally is about to be caught with his pants down. I am telling you, if you have boys under the age of 10, you've got to read them this story in the Bible. Okay, They're going to love this. I actually love it myself. But Saul comes in and he squats down to do his thing. And that's where we'll pick things up. Look at what it says. It says, Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. David's men are like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, he's just sitting there scrouched down. This is your chance. This is your get out of the wilderness free card, David. Look at how David responds. It says, then David crept forward. So he's getting close. And he cut off a piece of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began to bother him because he had cut Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done it, he said to his men. It is a serious thing to attack the Lord's anointed. For the Lord himself has chosen him as king. I want to say some very serious words to some of you right now. Because there are some of you who are in the wilderness. 
and you are close to taking a shortcut that will bring you some temporary relief, but will leave you with a lifetime of pain and regret. And I believe that the reason God brought you to church today or the reason that God has you watching this message online is for these next 60 seconds. Maybe your marriage is in a wilderness right now. And there's this other relationship over here that seems to promise you intimacy and closeness that you've been longing for. And you're tempted to say, you know, I'm so lonely in this cave of a marriage. And surely God wants me happy, right? And it would feel so good. And you are close to taking a shortcut that will bring you temporary relief but a lifetime of pain. Maybe you're single and you don't really want to be single. You've been in this wilderness of singleness for years. You've been waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Right. But now you're starting to think, you know, maybe Mr. Almost Right or Mrs. Almost Right will just have to do. You would instantly be out of that wilderness. But you might be in a greater wilderness three or four years from now. Maybe you're pregnant. And if you were honest, it wasn't something you prepared for or planned for. And you don't really want to be. And your boyfriend is urging you, you know, just get an abortion. You would instantly be out of the wilderness. But you would be headed for a lifetime of pain and some regret. Maybe you're in a financial wilderness right now. And you're in a situation where you're thinking, oh, I'll just make the numbers work. I'll just fudge a couple of things. I'll declare bankruptcy, keep spending outside the budget. Or maybe you're tempted to lie about something so you won't get caught or you won't get in trouble. And the entire question of your future depends on are you going to take the shortcut or are you going to trust God to get you out of this wilderness no matter how long it takes? Here's what I want to say to you today. Don't leave early. You will shortcut what God wants to do in your life. David could have killed King Saul and he would have instantly been out of the wilderness. But David never would have become king because God's way is never the shortcut. In fact, don't even cut off a piece of the king's robe. Don't even get close. There are some of you this week who you cut off a piece of the king's robe. You sent the text, you made the call, you told the lie, you medicated the pain, you made the numbers work. And I'm telling you, if you keep cutting off a piece of the king's robe, you will miss out on something very special that God wants to do in your life. The question is, will you take the shortcut? Or will you trust God to get you out of this wilderness no matter how long it takes? I want to read to you Psalm 142. It's another psalm that David wrote when he was in the wilderness. It was a prayer to God. And sometimes people will say to me, you know, I don't, I don't really know how to pray. And I'll say, well, you know, you ought to read a psalm and then just read that as if you're praying it to God. Because that's what the psalms are. They're prayers to God. And David wrote this psalm when he was in a cave. And I wanted today to read it to you and let this be your own prayer. If you find yourself in the wilderness, if you find yourself in a cave, if you find yourself wondering, God, why are you allowing this into my life? Let this be your prayer today. 
fact, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to invite you to stand at all of our campuses at this time. And I'm just going to read this psalm over you. You can close your eyes. You can bow your head. And I want you to let this be your prayer to God. David writes this. I cry out to the Lord. That's what some of you need to do today. You need to cry out to the Lord. David says, I plead for the Lord's mercy, for I am overwhelmed. And you alone, God, you know the way that I should turn. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. And that's how some of you feel today. You feel as if nobody cares. But you need to hear that Jesus Christ cares. David then says, Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, You are my refuge. You are my portion in the land of the living. Hear my cry, for I am very low. There are some of you today who came to church and you feel so low. And you wonder, God, why are you doing this? Or why are you allowing this into my life? And you need to hear today that God loves you, that God doesn't desire to harm you in any way. We live in a sinful and fallen world, and sometimes we go through a wilderness. But you can learn something in that wilderness. And you can look around and you can behold the power and the glory of God, but don't leave early. Don't shortchange what God can do in your life. And then sometimes you just got to cling. You got to hold on and cling to him as much as you can. With that, you're dismissed. Have a great day, everybody.